Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to another episode of A People's Theology. I'm the host of A People's Theology, Mason Menega. In this episode, I talk with Dr. Robin Henderson Espinoza. Dr. Robin is a transqueer activist, Latinx scholar, and politicized theologian. They are also the author of the recent book, Body Becoming, A Path to Our Liberation. Also, musically featured throughout this episode is Zane Vickery. Zane Vickery is a singer-songwriter from South Carolina. You can get connected with Dr. Robin and Zane Vickery and their work in the links in the episode description. If you're a fan of A People's Theology, it would bring me no greater joy than if you gave the podcast a five-star rating and review. Tell me what you like about the podcast. Also, if you feel so inclined, please support my Patreon at patreon.com forward slash There are multiple tiers with wonderful rewards, including papers I write to even a book club. Enough of my rambling. Enjoy more inspiring and liberating theology. Today I have Dr. Robin Henderson Espinoza with me. And Dr. Robin, you do so many incredible things in the world. You are one of my favorite theologians. I'm just have to oh, say thank it. You. you. Thank you. J- just your work is so, so incredible. Uh, and you recently wrote a book called Becoming Body. And I just mentioned it before we started recording, but I really think it might be Become one of my favorite books of all time. I mean, I really, really love it. It's so important to the kind of work that I'm interested in, in doing in the world. So with all of that said, who is Dr. Robin Henderson Espinoza to Dr. Robin Henderson Espinoza? That's a great question. Who am I to myself? First of all, thank you for having me back on the show. Um, yeah. It was great to talk about activist theology back in 2019. Which feels like so long ago. Feels longer yeah. than three years ago. Yeah. Uh, we are in really a new epoch in in so mm-hmm. many ways. Uh, so it's good to be back. It's good to lay eyes on you. I, I wish that we had um, more time together, but maybe maybe this book will bring me to to Minnesota and and we can hang out a little bit. Yeah. So who am I to myself? You know, I'm a curious person. I mean, I can say all the things that you can find online, right? Trans, right. queer, Latinx. PhD in constructive philosophical theology. I can say all those things, but really who I am is, you know, my vocation is to study, to study the landscape of theology and ethics. And so that makes me curious. I'm very curious about all things. I'm in fact, reading a book right now on mindfulness and Buddhism. 
and really learning how much empire religion has conscripted dogma that is harming people. You know, when you look at some of the aphorisms of Jesus, they are non-dual and, Mm -hmm. and, and Buddhism is, you know, eight or 9,000, 10,000 years old. And, you know, Christianity comes from something. Yes, it comes from Judaism, but Judaism comes from something. Mm -hmm. And so I'm listening to this book on, on Buddhism and, and this is just my curiosity, you know, just Mm -hmm. looking Mm -hmm. at the landscape of ontology, epistemology, and ethics. And so I'm a curious person. I read everything. I read lots of Christian theology. Uh, You know, I read the patristics. Yes, I read Augustine and all those other dead white dudes. Um, I, you know, I, I am just a voracious, curious thinker. That's what, that's what keeps me up at night. I love talk radio. Really? Yeah. I would have never guessed that. What kind of talk yeah. radio? What what are your what are your top shows? Well, I mean, I do love NPR. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and um, so I I will fancy myself of listening to NPR, but I do have Sirius XM radio. So I'll listen to, you know, the news channels on there. I'll listen to the various NPR stations. And, you know, I love music too. I just went and saw my friend Sarah Potenza play last night here in Nashville. So I love Americana music, big fan of Brandy Carlisle, mm-hmm. obviously the Indigo Girls. So I, w- I would just say, like, I'm curious and I'm curious to be in conversation with people. I'm curious to be in relationship with people. And I think difference will help us be a better people. Mm-hmm. Um, homogenizing society through things like Christofascism will not help us be better people. It actually is harming people. So I'm a big fan of difference and, you know, cosmopolitanism and I'd love to travel, but haven't been able to travel in the past two and a half years because Mm -hmm. of this thing called COVID used to spend every six months in Mexico, my native land, uh, just to be on the ground in Mexico, just to feel the energy of the ground beneath me, you know, have high hopes of going to France and Italy to experience the culture there and I love art. I'm I'm partnered to an artist and um we like to go to dance shows and art shows and I I love to look at art with a theological lens and an ethical lens to sort of parse out the theology and ethics that is being performed. So, that's a little bit uh, about who I am to myself. That's just a little taste. Well, like you mentioned before, there's so many things going on in your life and and who you are. One of those things is, like I mentioned before, you're a theologian and an author, yep. and yep. you wrote this incredible book. What is something you learned about embodiment or theology or ethics while you were writing Body Becoming? Maybe something you didn't know before about one of those things. So uh, in 2015, when I finished my PhD and took a faculty post in Berkeley, California, I walked into my therapist's office and said, I want to have a relationship with my body. And so I was writing this book in 2020 and 2021. Obviously, those were the height of the pandemic. And I really invested in a relationship with my body. And because I live on the autism spectrum, I cannot feel my body unless someone is touching me. Mm. And so 
I did a lot of work uh, around trying to achieve the felt sense of my body. And many of us are like this because many of us have been in religious traditions that have denigrated the body. And so many of us are disconnected from our bodies or disembodied. Mm -hmm. So this is not a phenomenon that is just true for me. It's true for a lot of people. And it's especially true for men who have been socialized to compartmentalize their feelings and not connect with a felt sense. I just happen to be sort of in this gray area of being from a religious tradition, conservative evangelicalism, and having autism that sort of intensifies Mm -hmm. the lack Mm -hmm. of the felt sense, right? So I'm on this journey trying to get into my body, trying to live life completely, not just from the shoulders up. And so over the past two, the two years that I was writing this book, I developed relationships with embodiment coaches with movement people Mm -hmm. and those relationships really shaped what I wrote in the book I mean I really I really took the information that I was receiving from things like yoga and functional movement and somatic stuff into the book um, into story and into analysis because I know that I'm not alone. I know that I know that I'm not the only one who can't feel. I know that so many of us, when we see police brutality, we have empathy, but we may not have a felt sense mm-hmm. of what it's like to always be under surveillance, right? Partially because of our disassociation and our disconnectedness. Obviously, this comes from a culture of whiteness and white supremacy and other forms of supremacy culture. But what I really tried to do in this book is really translate my learning that, you know, like my path to my own becoming from dosing testosterone to doing yoga, to walking, to letting the beads of sweat appear on my forehead I just really took it so seriously and I tried to be in relationship with that process mm-hmm. and, and what you have is the book that you have. And, you know, I'm, I'm so curious for people to read this and to experience the journey and also like, how can we be a better people? We, we first have to start with ourselves. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Well, speaking of which, it seems like there's been so much conversation and so much literature in recent years about embodiment. It seems to be something that we live in a culture that has, or a lot of people seem to have recognized that they have not the best relationships with their body and are wanting to have better relationships with the body. When you talk about the body throughout this book, what do you mean by the body? It's a great question. Uh, You know, I mean both my body and your body and our bodies together, Mm. uh, which, which comprise or compose of a cultural body. And then I'm also talking about a democratic body, a planetary body and the earth as a body, you know, I'm talking about, it's almost like I was on a radio show a couple of weeks ago and, and the host said, so are we talking about like nested Russian dolls? And I'm like, yeah, kind of, that's kind of what we're talking about that, (laughs) that we are, we are all like, I am a body, but I'm comprised of a multiplicity of bodies because Mm. each cell has a body. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
So I'm talking about myself. I'm talking about my body, my fleshly material, my socio-reality, and also all that is comprised of my body. But my body is also in relationship with other bodies and not just human bodies. Like I'm in relationship with plants and animals, trees Mm -hmm. and grass and ground. And those are bodies too. So I'm really talking about everybody. Everybody. Ooh. Yeah. That's a fun play on words. Yeah. So it seems like obviously you're talking about like the physicality of the bodies, but also recognizing that the physicality of our bodies is always in relationship with the social constructions that are placed on our bodies. Right. Like you, you mentioned that you're, you're Latinx and you're also queer and trans. Like there are these sort of social constructions of gender and race and all of these different things that yeah. we're actually placing on the physicality of our bodies. Can you talk a little bit about the way that the, the physical side of our bodies and the social, the social constructed side of our bodies kind of interact with one another? Well, you know, we, I think we always have to be careful and, and, you know, there, so on the one side, there is essentialism, uh, you know, w- which we would call like kind of biological essentialism and then on the other side there is constructivism which sort of leans more heavily to things are socially constructed and i i'm not convinced of the essentialist argument you know Mm -hmm. uh there there are a lot of white feminists who do their work from the place of essentialism Mm -hmm. i think that's very dangerous because what we are assigned at birth is imposed on us by an institution that created the gender binary and the and the racial categories as a way to rank the human species in terms of dominance so i'm very wary of essentialism mm-hmm. and essentialist arguments I am much I, I much more lean to constructivism, which is part of post-structuralism. And and I'm very curious about the ways in which we've socially constructed our reality or our being. When it comes to the intersections of race, class, gender, sex, ability, those are all informed by lived experience. Those are all informed by relationship. I know that I am Latinx uh, partially because my mother asked me when I was five or six years old, does anyone ever make fun of you for the color of your skin? She's brown, caramely hue. I write about that in activist theology and a little mm-hmm. bit in body becoming. So I know that I am, I, I know that I'm like different in the world. But, you know, Latinx can mean lots of different things to lots of different people. And I think the thing that we have to be careful about is that racial definitions or racialization while living in a carceral state cannot be left up to the state to define. Mm. We really have to create these definitions in community so that they are constructed or composed from the ground up. So. You know, I look to my experience as a working class, working poor, like I just found out today, I don't make enough money to have get a mortgage. And I don't know that I'll ever make enough mm-hmm. money to get a mortgage. So there's a real sort of precarity here 
uh, in life that I'm trying to draw out that the systems in place rely on a particular formula to create a body. Mm -hmm. But when you add in the different standpoints of people, let's just use myself as an example, trans, queer, Latinx, invisible disability in terms of living on the autism spectrum, that each of those create a particular experience in a body Mm. that transcend the essentialist argument. They are constructed from a lived experience. And, and I would, you know, in, in terms of, I know that you've been in seminary and so you probably know this language and the people who are listening to this, I probably heard this before, but when we think about theology and we, and when we think about the ways in which we create meaning out of this world, we might look at something like the Wesleyan quadrangle, right? Tradition, mm-hmm. reason, the Wesleyan quadrilateral, quadrangle, I don't know why I said that. The Wesleyan quadrilateral, uh, tradition, reason, uh, scripture, and experience. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't include experience in this. Um, and I would say experience is really vital because all theology is contextual. Mm-hmm. And if we don't start at the ground up, we might be missing something. So I think that's what I would say to to, to your question. That is a very long-winded answer, but I'm a one trick pony and I just have long sentences. Well, I, I would even go as far to say that it's not even necessarily the Wesleyan quadrilateral, but it, it everything is mediated through experience. Even the way that we think about tradition and reason yep. and even scripture, that yep. is all through the lens of experience. So it really yep. is not even a quadrilateral as if all of those are working equally together. It's still all being mediated through experience. Yep. Yep. I agree. So we've talked a little bit about the body and what you mean by the body. You also have this really important idea throughout the book called becoming. What do you mean by becoming? Because I think it's a really key concept of what you're, when you construct your understanding of the body, I think it's a really key concept of it. Yeah. So let me rewind to like 2012, 2013, when I was writing my dissertation, I finished uh, my dissertation in 2015 and defended in 2015. But I had this idea that everything is becoming, that even the concrete in the ground of the pavement is becoming, that that it's changing. Mm. So I wanted to write on bodies are becoming, you know, and and my committee was like, what does that mean? And I'm like, I'll show you. (laughs) And one of the first questions that Dr. Edward Antonio had for me, who I mentioned in the book, was what do you mean by becoming? And I'm like, it means change. And the sort of plumb line for becoming is that it's neither a starting point or an ending point, but it's always a middle point. We are always in between. And becoming is like, you know, when you light a fire firecracker and it burns the wick, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then the firecracker explodes. That's all a process of becoming. Mm. And so what I mean by becoming is in relationship to change, uh, but not mechanistic change. And I mentioned a couple, you know, Hegel and Spinoza, you know, the philosophers of becoming, mm-hmm. you know, this is not a new idea. I, I know Michelle Obama came out with her book called Becoming that, you know, 
becoming is a long philosophical tradition that many of us aren't aware of, but I have spent a long time sort of reading about this and around it, you know, becoming it becoming is like the potential that we have to change Mm. and the change itself. Mm. So I, yeah, I I spent a long time writing about becoming, I mean, it's almost like the amazing double helix that is, that is always changing inside of us that Mm -hmm. causes us to change. Uh, That's what I mean by becoming. Um, I mean, the weather is becoming, you know, it's emergent. It changes on a dime. I mean, there's just lots of things to look at in the world where we can see becoming. And I think that we don't always recognize it because we are not in tuned with the ways in which we are becoming. And when we are better in relationship with, with the planetary becoming, I mean, we should all be concerned about climate justice mm-hmm. and, and I think that we all should be composting and recycling, but I don't want to be dogmatic and say that we <laughs> all should be right. Because then that feels imperial and I don't want to be colonial or imperial, but I feel like we should all be doing something to help our planet and that is the process of becoming the sort of consciousness you know coming to terms with an injustice leaning in to do justice those are components of becoming so how then specifically are bodies becoming like when you're talking about body becoming yeah what what does that mean like how how are those two integrated with one another and relating to one another So, you know, when I talk about that, you know, I'm talking about I am coming to both a self-awareness and the felt sense of my own body. And then when I am in relationship with someone else, take you, for example, we come from similar yet different backgrounds and the space in between us is the space of becoming. And then when we connect and in our and in relationship with the becoming we then become a body together. We become a fleshly sociosensory reality that, that then impacts our cultural body. So I think that when we begin to chart relationships of difference, it impacts our cultural body. And those are processes of becoming. So I mean individual, I mean interpersonal, and I mean collective when I'm talking about becoming. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that makes sense. Does that make sense? Totally makes sense to me. You might know that I'm very involved in the process theology world. So yes. this idea of not only our bodies being extremely important and actually the way that we mediate, like our bodies are the sort of mediation for our experience in the world, but also that the, our bodies are in this constant process of change is so important to the way that I understand theology, politics, right. ethics, et cetera. Right. And so right. – I think it's just incredibly important to be thinking about our bodies in this way. And it's really unfortunate uh, that for so many people for so long, we've been thinking about kind of a substance metaphysics or this sort of static way of understanding all things in the world, including our bodies. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, just to take up substance metaphysics, you know, I'm I'm much more into sort of the new materialism mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. and 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 the feminists who are writing on new materialisms. I I I I read a lot 
uh, around historical materialism, dialectical materialism, and am very interested in the the ways in which motion and change has evolved over over history. Mm. Uh, you know, we we have inherited a a mechanistic um, idea or a mechanistic philosophy of change, which has then impacted. I think how we perceive changing the world, you know, we rely on more slower reforming change versus a more dynamic revolutionary change. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when I'm thinking of change and systems and bodies, you know, the slow drip is not working. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We need something much more dynamic. Mm -hmm. And if we pay attention more closely to our lived experience, to our lived reality, we will see that that matter precedes language and and that which is material has always been in process and has always been changing. And we should pay attention to that. Mm -hmm. It's part of the reason why I'm so involved and interested in abolitionist work, because the way you're talking about change, it feels like this revolutionary change in abolitionist work. But beyond that, it's not even just about prisons and policing. It's actually a restructuring of how we relate, bodies yeah. relate to each other. Yeah. Uh, and it's a revolutionary change in how our bodies are relating to one another. Yeah. I mean, when I think about abolition, I'm thinking about life-affirming systems. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. when we have a felt sense of our bodies and when we, when we are in right relationship with our bodies, we are abolishing the bullshit that has mm -hmm. been imposed on us. And so there is a way that this book can be read with an abolitionist lens because I am talking about life-affirming systems, that, that democracy can be a life-affirming system. This work, I mean, obviously, I'm for the 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 emptying of prisons and the ending of policing as we know it today, and ending the carceral state. But but it does take a particular orientation to bodies mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and selfhood and the sovereignty of the self mm -hmm. that we just don't have mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right now. Well, I'm hoping that a book like yours is one step or one piece oh. that could make a total revolutionary change for how not only we understand our bodies and the way that they relate to one another, but then eventually that turning into a world where abolition is is the way we understand and, and organize and, and create in the world. Well, I mean, it's it takes one conversation at a time, right? Right. And totally. And you know, I'm trying to have the right conversations about this book with people who want to try to mobilize what I'm trying to do, which, you know, I think very much you are you are doing. And, you know, it, it's very interesting to me that that you said before we started re recording that that this has been a major book for you because you are I'm sure your listeners know this, but I'm just going to say it out loud. Mm -hmm. You are a cis white male. Mm hmm. And it's not it. It is uncommon for cis white men to be excited about embodiment because cis white men have have been policed out of their body mm -hmm. in many respects. And so, for you to say no, I'm going to lean into embodiment and I'm going to pursue this thread. 
I think is revolutionary for, for people like you. Uh, and for me as a trans mask person who, you know, started dosing testosterone as a way to get into my body. Mm-hmm. And now I can feel, you know, I mean, it's like, I mean, I, I just have all these questions about gender and about orientation and, and the ways in which religion has, really perfected a transactional mentality toward bodies Mm -hmm. and how both of us are saying no to that Mm -hmm. and actually Mm -hmm. leaning into practices of becoming embodied and, Mm -hmm. and how that will shape and shift our work, our relationships and whatnot. And which is why I'm so, I'm, I'm always thankful to talk with you because I think, I think, you, you know, you're, you're careful with these texts. And I think you, I mean, you're very excited, which I like, but you know, you, you, there is a tension to what the author is doing, mm-hmm. which I think, you know, there's a respect for, for the, for the study, for the vocation of the theologian. And I think that's, that's what we need, right? We need people who are excited for the work, but also who are like, um, pulling the threads and seeing where they lead, you know, you're mm-hmm, curious. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what I feel grateful for to be in conversation with you. Well, I thank you so much for that. And I'm so grateful for you and the work that you do in the world. Again, you've been someone who has been so helpful in the way that, uh, you know, a- as I've gone through this process of of rethinking my theology and rethinking the way that I live in the world, like you're somebody who's kind of a, a core person in, mm-hmm. in like how I think we ought to relate to one another in the world and how I want to be in the world. It's interesting that you mentioned about, you know, the fact that I'm a cis white man and I think in in some ways, and this will lead to a question later on, but in some ways, I think the process of my body becoming is going to look obviously slightly different than yours right. because I'm a cis white man. And in a lot of cases, that process includes a lot of repentance and even a lot of reparation. Yeah. And that that will look differently, obviously, for you, because you are a person whose body has been oppressed because right. of the different identities that um, are a part of your body. Um, whereas, obviously, for mine, historically, mine have been a part of the oppressor. Yeah. And so my process of me becoming embodied looks slightly different, I think, because yeah. of that. And I think that's important for us to like kind of think through the, that difference and, and why yeah. that matters because of the way that historically my body – uh, ha- has been a part of the oppressor and yours has been a part of the, the one who has been oppressed. Yeah. I mean, I-, I think when we can remain curious about those differences, I think we can get somewhere. I think mm-hmm. far too often, far too often we sort of leverage identities uh, in a way that doesn't help us remain curious. You know, I, mm. I remember years ago, and I write about this in the book that my Enneagram teacher, Deborah Peavy, said to me, basically, the way to get free is to bridge with the center of your own difference. And at the time, mm. I I was disidentifying with whiteness in such a way that I couldn't I couldn't touch it. You know, I couldn't um, you know, I'd been reading a lot of scholars of color and and I sort of you know my mind has really been shaped by black feminist thought and by other women of color thinkers and and I I couldn't quite 
cross the threshold into what the center of my own difference was, which was the fact that I'm mixed race and I'm mm. my, my father was white. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as I as I have grown, as I have matured, as I have sort of become, you know, if I participated in my own becoming. I've been able to bridge with the center of my own difference, which which is that the whiteness and, you know, people people say to me all the time, why do you work with white people? And 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 my good friend Nadine de la Rosa, she said to me, "White folks are part of your word." Mm-hmm. And and as I sit with that, and as I as I hear that six years after Deb told me to bridge with the center of my own difference, I'm I'm more clearly able to be in relationship with white folks that it's not oppositional; it's actually mm-hmm. a curiosity. And I think that's what I love about about your curiosity is is that we're both coming to this as curious people we know that it will look different but our curiosity is kind of driving the process of becoming and so the change that we will see in relationship with ourselves and with each other will be much more generative because of that curiosity Mm -hmm. and i think that's the thing that's missing so much in activist spaces in social justice spaces is that you know, the progressive liberal people or liberal progressives, however you want to say it, they're not curious. They 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 know what they want and they're fighting for that change. But there's a there's a lack of humility and a lack of curiosity in that in that quest. Mm-hmm. And so it feels much more like neoliberal to me and hyper individualistic and not grounded in community or in relationship. And I think it's relationship all the way down for me, uh, which is why I collaborate with people. It's why I don't want to be a talking head. It's it's why I do podcasts because I want to be in conversation with people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that conversation, that relational piece is what helps us remain curious about the other, which will produce the change, the revolutionary change that we want to see. This episode of A People's Theology is brought to you by United Theological Seminary of the Twin Cities. Are you considering exploring your faith more deeply, or are you called to ministry but haven't found a seminary that is quite right for you? When you come to United, you join a community that is intentionally open, socially aware, and theologically adventurous. United's passion is equipping leaders to make real, lasting change in the world through their many different degree programs. Whether your vocation is in faith leadership, nonprofit leadership, academia, the arts, activism, or social entrepreneurship. And the best news is you don't have to uproot your life to attend seminary. United offers maximum flexibility to fit your schedule. Attend on campus or online, part-time or full-time. Their leading distance learning technology allows students to be active in the classroom and engaged with the United community. Want to learn more? Visit unitedseminary.edu forward slash a people's theology or click the link in the episode description and receive a $1,000 scholarship when you apply and are admitted. United Theological Seminary of the Twin Cities, training leaders to dismantle systems of oppression, care for the spiritual needs of a multi-faith world, and push the boundaries of theology. I want to flip to kind of a theology question just because this is a theology podcast. Yeah. But theology has often been thought about so abstractly and even disembodied. Yeah. How can theology be embodied? How can we do an embodied theology or what does that even look like? 
Well, you know, I, I mean, I'm sure that you've seen me write this and I, I wrote it in the book, but, but, you know, all theology is ethics. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is that every theological belief, if you want to call it a belief or dogma, shows up in our practice, which is our ethical action. And every ethical action organizes bodies, which is our politics. So it, it's all wound up in whether we're going to be embodied or disembodied we can be disembodied which which we have been our religious institutions have taught us to be disembodied we can believe in some transcendent god who is outside of time and history and we can ascend to that kind of belief structure but what it creates is a fractured disembodied practice or praxis because our reflection on God is not embodied. Now, if we take a more pantheistic view, w- mm-hmm. which is to say God is in all things, which is what I believe, this, I get this from Moltmann, um, if God is in all things, then God is in the Holocaust, God is in the Ukraine-Russia uh, revolt, and God is even in our time together right now. Mm stewarding the kind of change that we want to see in the world. And that is how we have an embodied theology is that we place God in the center of our becoming. We can even use the the Hebrew word tehom, mm-hmm. where where God hovers over the face of the deep, that the tehom is the place of emergence. An embodied theology is uh, about adaptation and emergence and becoming. So how do we leverage that kind of theology? Because that kind of theology, one which is embodied, attuned to adaptation and change and emergence, means that our that our practice and our praxis, our ethics, shows up very differently. It shows up relational, not transactional, and that then organizes bodies as it needs to, not as that which is imposed upon it or in a colonial settler colonial manner. Mm -hmm. We touched on this uh, just a bit ago, but I'd like to flesh it out a little bit more pun intended. Yeah. What does liberation look like for bodies who are oppressed? And what does liberation look like for bodies who are the oppressor? Yeah. Well, I think that we have to, get out of the binary of Mm. oppressed Mm -hmm. and, and a, oppressed and oppressor because like you mentioned even being mixed race like there there's this sort of dynamic that could even happen where people can be both exactly and and i'm gonna say it and this might piss off people but i've not been in the business of making people happy (laughs) in my life but we are always already both Mm. we you know we are swimming in the waters of supremacy culture we are swimming in the waters of white supremacy. We are swimming in the waters of toxic carceral capitalism. We have probably exploited people and probably extracted labor from people because that's what we were expected to do. So we are probably both oppressed and oppressor. So the, the question is, how do we liberate ourselves from the empire 
how do we liberate ourselves from Babylon when it's the water in which we swim? Mm -hmm. I think the only way we can do that is through and by relationship, right relationship. Mm -hmm. So I'm I'm not concerned with orthodoxy, right? I don't care what you believe. What I care about is how you live your life, how you practice, which is why I respond to all of my DMs because that's about right relationship. And you're a great emailer, by the way. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. So, so we're, we're all, all, always and already both and, and we have to sit with that and we have to Mm -hmm. tend to that. It's not a question of black and white. It's always shades of gray. Mm -hmm. So how do we liberate ourselves from the in-between spaces when the in-between spaces might be spaces of flourishing? What do we do with that? You know, because I Mm -hmm. talk about I talk about the in-between space or the both and space of Nepantla, which is has been a place of growth for me. And it can be a place of oppression for me. Mm. So how do we liberate ourselves? Well, it's through and by relationship. It's it's Mm -hmm. when my partner says uh, white people are sucking you dry. They're killing you. You need to go hang out with black and brown people. So I so I call my friends. And I say, hey, can we meet up for a coffee or a drink? And they say yes. And so I go hang out with black and brown people and then I get a breath of fresh air. But I know that white people are part of my work, right? It's the both and. Mm -hmm. It's through and by relationship that we liberate ourselves. So you're already kind of touching on my next question then. And at the end of the book, you talk about a lot of different somatic practices that you have done over the last several years. Yeah. So what are some practical somatic ways that might be helpful in liberating our bodies? Well, I'm a big fan of earthing, which is like barefoot, feet on the ground, feeling Mm -hmm. the ground beneath you. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, when our when our fleshy material connects with the ground beneath our feet, something happens. So I would say that I would also say like sitting in my office with white sage incense and just breathing and like Mm -hmm. being present Mm -hmm. has been huge. I'm a big advocate for massage because that's a big way where I feel myself and I am able to get into my body. Massage is a therapeutic prescription for me. My doctor says I should get a massage at least once a month. And it's not, I mean, some people do massage as like a privilege thing, but Mm -hmm. it's actually therapeutic. You know, Mm -hmm. there a lot of the ways that I was able to get into my body is by having regular massage. Uh, thankfully I'm partnered to a massage therapist, so I probably get more touch than the average person, Mm -hmm. but I would say some kind of therapeutic touch helps us. I mean, we are so touch deprived, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, skin deprived. And when I'm with people, I love to, you know, like touch the arm or the hand because that's the kind of relationships we need. You know, we, we, we are so separated by our polarized views that we don't even know how to come close to one another. Mm-hmm. And so figuring out how to have touch with consent, of course, and practice a kind of therapeutic touch with one another can help us. I think mm-hmm. it, it certainly helps me. What I love about these different practices is that 
It's not even just your body being touched by another human body, but that there are other practices out there where it's your human body touching or being touched by even non-human bodies like yeah. the earth. I, I yeah. just, I, I think, again, the the multiplicity of bodies that exist and they all have to be in relationship with one another. Yeah. They need to be yeah. touching one another and, again, in that relationship with one another. And that is a really, really key uh, piece to overall holistic liberation it's not yeah. just our human bodies touching other human bodies it requires right. all of these bodies in relationship yep. and touching one another yeah the multiplicity of touch it's beautiful it's beautiful yeah. how do you hope that body becoming inspires and liberates its readers well i hope it gives people a chance to be curious about themselves mm. i think i think far too often we don't invite readers to be curious about themselves. And I, and I hope this book begins to sort of light a little flame of curiosity for folks. I mean, obviously, I hope that it overhauls the democratic body, you know, but it's going to take curious people being curious about themselves and their neighbors as they read this to think about it. And like a primary thing that I have in the book is like the role of motion. Like, you know, everybody moves. I want people to be curious about this book and, and then start having conversations with their neighbors about it. And I don't know, let's have a big roasted chicken dinner with greens and talk about the book. You know, I'm, I'm all for it. I love cooking. So you, you tell me what you want made and I will help make it. Oh, well, let's just let's do a, a dinner in Minnesota and talk about the book, you know, gather let's your friends and, and I'll show up. And I mean, that's really what I want. I want it to be this like communal event of mm -hmm. getting getting embodied. You know, I, I you know, I have no aspirations of like being a speaker in a stadium. But if I could like travel to every every state, every 50 state and have a sit-down dinner with people about the book, I'm more interested in that. Well, if I would have known that you wanted to have food while we're doing this, I would have, I, well, we could have made a little lunch, and we could have had a little lunch while we're, we're chatting about the book. And I, well, well, We're going to have to redo this now, Dr. Well, Robin. <laughs> so we can redo it. My semester's almost over, and <laughs> I've got a lot of free time in the summer. So let's just plan a summer get-together in Minnesota and, you know, we could, I love roasted chicken, cast iron roasted chicken Ooh. with greens. Mm. That's my favorite. We can have something vegetarian and vegan friendly mm -hmm. and we can invite your friends over and we could talk about the book. I just need a place to stay. We, that's the easiest part of that. Okay, great. Great. Well, I, I would love that. I, I would absolutely love that. The thing that I also loved about my, in my own personal reading of the book was that it really got me thinking about all the different ways that what liberation looks like for my own body, because yeah. I have all of these grand, huge ideas like revolution and liberation for the world and abolition, all these things. And then yeah. it always comes down to like, what can I do to be a yeah. part of that? Yeah. And I really, this is part of the reason why I'm just love the work of embodiment and including your work is because it, it really gets me to think, okay, these are the very specific ways I can be a part of this. If I want to see revolution in the world, if I want to see liberation, if I want to see abolition, like here are the very specific ways in my own body I can be a part of that. And, yeah. and that's why I love what I've loved about your work. And I really oh, hope maybe you. some other readers of the book start to get that too. Yeah. Yeah. I hope so. 
we'll see. I'm, I'm hoping for it too. Uh, Dr. Robin, last question. How can listeners get connected to you and your work? So obviously, you know, pre-order the book. It, it drops on 329 for Trans Day of Visibility. And, you know, you can buy it from Amazon if you want and get that two-day shipping. Or you can support local bookstores and buy it from bookshop.org. And then you could find me at irobin on Twitter and Instagram. And I, you know, like I said, I respond to my DMs and I'd like to be in conversation with people. I'm very curious what folks think about the book. So do let me know what your thoughts are. And yeah, I hope to hear from folks. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. Again, I I think this is one of those books that will be just really core to the the books uh, in my life that just make me who I am. And I really do think that this is one of those books. You know, I interview lots of great and wonderful people out there all the time and their books are awesome. But this really does. This is one of those books that like is kind of like it's going to be at the top of my bookshelf. Like I'm going to be reading it every year. You know, like I'm a big fan of Catherine Keller. She's one of those people that like, you know, I read every year, even if I read that book a million other times, I'm still going to read it. And I really do think that this, this book will be one of those types of books for me. Well, Catherine is an amazing theologian and has, you know, I'm indebted to her for the ways that she shaped me. And, um, you know, as, as our, you know, scholars shape each other and I'm just proud to be, I'm just proud to be on your bookshelf. I'm, I'm proud to have a book. I never thought that I would be writing books. I thought that I would be, you know, a university professor teaching one or two classes a semester, but primarily being in my office reading and writing. Mm-hmm. And now I'm doing this public work, which I which I never thought that I would be doing. And I'm always grateful to be on your podcast. And I'm serious about that chicken dinner. Let's, I'm serious about let's, it too. Let's find let's time to plan an event this summer where I come to Minnesota and um, we sit down and have a conversation about the book and do it embodied over yes. a meal. Yes, I'm all for it. I love it. Well, thank you so much again, Dr. Robin, and we'll see you soon. Great. Thank you. If you'd like to connect with Dr. Robin and Zane Vickery and their work, you can find links in the episode description. Thank you again for listening to another episode of A People's Theology. If you liked what you heard, please give the podcast a five-star rating and review. Also, please support the podcast at my Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Mason Menega. And remember, friends, go and be the theology to the world that inspires and liberates. So some unexpected echo could